theologians and church fathers is uh, Charles Spurgeon. And I call him a church father because he wasn't one of the fathers of the church, but he is definitely one of the fathers of, of modern theology uh, being around in the late 1800s. And one of the things that Charles Spurgeon had said that I, I really have thought is, is very profound. He said, we have come to a turning point in the road. If we turn to the right, mayhap our children and our children's children will go that way. But if we turn to the left, generations yet unborn will curse our names for having been unfaithful to God and his word. Now, we have a big job as Christians. And one of those big jobs is, is raising another generation to be followers of Jesus Christ. Again, we can't force them to do so. You know, it'd be nice if every child listened, right? <laughs> but we need to guide. We need to invest in. In a church, uh, I, I'm a big fan of, of some of the biggest budgets going towards things that we do with the kids and the teens. Not because I used to be a youth pastor, but I'm a product of an older adult investing in me. I'm only here because of my grandfather who invested in my life. And so that generation coming up needs our attention. But if we're not setting good examples, if we're not doing things biblically, what's going to happen? You're going to have a generation to follow that will do the same thing. They will mimic what they see. So, what we're talking about today is that as followers, as disciples of Jesus, we are to be the examples to the world of what it means to live godly lives. This is also true within the church setting. Not just without the building, outside the building, but within the church setting that we are practicing right now, that we, we practice on Wednesdays and of any other day that we come together, there has to be godly influence. We're starting a new series today called Biblical Leadership. And I'm doing this because I think sometimes the church misunderstands what the Bible says about what leadership is supposed to be. And when the church misunderstands it, then we start doing things wrong. And it can be corrected if we just go back to what Scripture says. Some of what you'll hear today may step on toes, just warning you beforehand. But no, I'm only preaching Scripture. If it steps on our toes, that means we need to do something about that. Some of what you hear will be a, a renewal, or a, not a renewal, but a, just a reinforcement of what you already knew. Maybe some of you will learn something new. But at any rate, as we go through this, I want you to understand something, that we, for the next four weeks, are going to be looking into what the Bible says regarding elders and deacons. And this is something we need to be reminded of constantly in the church. Because within the church... In general, we have a lot of different systems of leadership. But I believe the Bible only teaches one system. So why do we have so many different systems? 
It doesn't make sense to me. I think that the church in general has lost what biblical church leadership is supposed to be. We've lost what started at the beginning. So my prayer is that this series will help bring to the forefront of, of your mind of what it means to be a leader in God's church. I also pray that we here at Rosebud would align ourselves to the way the Bible demands that we lead. It does no good if it just is listened to. As James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you are with my words this morning. God, that you would teach us what it means to be biblical leaders. I praise you, God, for giving us the guide, the blueprint, whatever we want to call it, Father, the word of God that tells us how to do these things. I pray, God, that we would hear the truth and we would act on it. We thank you, Jesus, for being our chief priest, our high priest, the head of our church. And Lord, we submit to you. We don't submit to concepts or ideas. We submit to the King of Kings. So we pray, God, that you lead us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We're going to start this series in the book of Titus. We're starting there because as we progress, there'll be three messages on elders, and the last message will be on deacons. There's a lot to learn about eldership. The Bible speaks of what elders do pretty clearly. And so I want to spend three weeks on eldership. So we're not going to go through everything about elders today. There's just not enough time for that. But what we will do is we'll highlight things today and next week and the week after about eldership that we need to know and be aware of. We're also going to be in the books of 1 Timothy and 1 Peter, and also Acts. But concerning Titus, we need some background here. The author of Titus is Paul. Titus is not a, just a book of the Bible. It's a letter written by Paul. And the recipient of this letter is, you guessed it, Titus. Titus is a co-worker for the gospel with Paul. His, his whole job is to, is to assist Paul in the spreading of the gospel, but they were in this place called Crete, and so uh, they planted a couple churches, and Paul let, leaves Titus in Crete. And he does this not because Titus smells bad or he's bad company. He does this because Titus is strong in his faith, and now the churches that were just planted need some guidance. So he leaves Titus behind to make sure that the church there gets off on a strong foot and that people remain faithful. Because in this time, especially in this area of Crete, there's a lot of dealings with false teachers. And we hear about this a lot in the New Testament. We're supposed to be aware of false teachers. In fact, I would say it's probably one of the top three things that is addressed in the New Testament that we are supposed to be aware of constantly. There's a reason for that. False teachers lead sheep astray. And when they get left astray, they get eaten by the wolves. So Paul leaves Titus here 
to watch out for the new congregations. And this letter was written to remind Titus and to remind the believers of the inseparable link that there is between faith and practice. There's an inseparable link between believing and actually living. We have to get that, church. Just because you believe doesn't mean anything unless you act on that belief. Does that make sense? I think James says the same thing. Faith without works is what? Dead. So Paul is reminding Titus and the other believers of this inseparable link. There is something here that they need to hear and to be challenged with to ensure that belief and behavior go hand in hand. So we're going to be picking it up today in Titus 1, 1 through 9. Titus 1, 1 through 9. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word throughout, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what reminded it, uh, that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the, chain, the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Again, there's a lot there to cover about elders. I find it important to note, though, how Paul starts this letter off. Titus, after the greetings and stuff like that. Notice that in order to help them understand that belief and behavior go hand in hand, he starts with how they are structured. And Paul doesn't say, form a committee. He, he doesn't say to, to, okay, Titus, you're in charge. Just make sure they do what they're supposed to do. Paul instructs him right away to instill elders over the churches. In every church, there are to be elders. And so this is how he instructs Titus to get people on the right path. He starts with the leadership structure. It's as if he's telling Titus, that godly leaders set the tone for the rest of the congregation. Because that's exactly what he's telling Titus. That godly leaders set the example, the tone for the rest of the church. 
So you can deduce from that that maybe leaders who aren't so godly, they would teach the congregation the same, right? So the leaders that Paul is instructing Titus to put into place are elders. So starting today, we will be taking the next few weeks breaking down the character and the qualifications of biblical elders. Now I'm going to put that biblical in front of elders because there's a lot of times that churches don't do things biblically. So let's look at a couple this week. First of all, elders must be qualified. They must be qualified. Qualification is important. Just as if you wouldn't place your hope and trust in a surgeon that's never been to medical school. We shouldn't place our hope and faith in people who are unqualified to lead. At any level, not even just in the church. If somebody is unqualified to lead, then disaster happens. In our passage, Paul lays out a very specific qualifications to be an elder. You see, a biblical elder is a shepherd of the people and a spiritual guide of the people. And that's going to be on the screen here in a second because I want you to understand that. A biblical elder is a shepherd of the people and the spiritual guide of the people. You see constantly in the Bible this, uh, this picture of shepherding. Sheep, by their very nature, will kind of go all over the place. But sheep can be herded. They can be watched over. The, Jesus says that um, uh, the sheep know their shepherd's voice and they listen. When I was living in Idaho, when I first moved there, we had a, a, a big house that we were renting from a, a, a man in the church. And there was a 180-tree orchard in the, back, in the backyard. And um, uh, the man's son kept sheep there, about 60 sheep. And, and, uh, and he was not always able to be there. So I said, you know, Steve, I'll help you out. You know, I'll, I'll watch the sheep for you. Sheep are dumb, if you didn't know that. <laughs> Goats are dumber, but sheeps are dumb. And, 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 and sheep, sorry, I'm speaking sheep, not sheeps. Sheep are dumb. And uh, I remember one time looking out in, in out the back window, and I see this sheep and his head stuck in the fence. Because there was something that he really wanted on our side of the fence. But he got his head stuck. And then another and then another, I, I'm telling you, it was like, boom, boom. Oh, what you doing, George? Here, let me help you. You know, type of thing. And it's like, pretty soon there's like six sheep with their head in the fence. So I, I started to, to work with the sheep a little bit. I, I would go out there and, and I'd start speaking and, and I'd get one or two. Then all of a sudden everybody, you know, they think you're going to feed them constantly. But I got to the point where I can go, I can walk out my backyard and say, sheep, 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 sheep. And they would run from wherever they were on the property to where I was. But they learned my voice. And I wasn't even their owner. But shepherding is used as an example in scripture time and time again for a good reason. Because Jesus is called our good shepherd, is he not? Jesus' job 
that he does for us as sheep is to protect us, to lead us. And we follow him because we know him. The same word is used for an elder in the church. Shepherd. It's incredible. A shepherd knows his sheep. And they know him. A shepherd leads. Even when it's dangerous, he leads. You see, this is a big deal. Because a biblical elder is a shepherd of the people. And he's a leader, a spiritual guide of the people. So not only is, a, is a, an elder there supposed to, to, to get to know you and be a part of your lives, but he is to lead you spiritually. So the direction of the church spiritually falls on elders. It falls on those who are qualified. Therefore, the role of an elder is to be taken seriously. And with great humility. People should not be elders if they like the attention. People should not be elders if they like control. It takes humility to be an elder. They set the tone for the rest of the congregation. The Greek word for elder is presbyterios, which translated can also mean pastor. So a pastor and an elder, biblically, are the same thing. It's why in my last church we ordained our elders. They were ordained into ministry. To be pastors. Some of them spoke. Some of them didn't like to stand up here and speak. All of them taught. But each according to their gifts were pastoring. Because that's what it means. And in my last church, I was an elder. Because we like to think of elders as old people. That's not biblically what it was. It was mature in the faith. It was mature in their spiritual life and they're leading their family. It's the same word for pastor. And it also is, is given as a description of a herdsman or a shepherd. I have a book that I take uh, elders through called They Smell Like Sheep. And it's a great title because that's what an elder should smell like, his people. To know them, to grow with them. To weep with them. To celebrate with them. That's what an elder is supposed to do. You see the role of an elder is not to be taken lightly. And I'm going to put that on the screen too. Because I want you to understand that. The role of an elder is not to be taken lightly. It's not just a position to be desired. It is a serious, serious role in the church. This is a vital and important role. The elders set the vision and the direction of the church. They are the spiritual leaders of the church. They are the shepherds of the flock. So in order to be a good shepherd, you need to be in tune with your Savior. In order to lead, you must learn how to follow. And that's one of the qualifications of an elder. See, the list that Paul goes to is pretty intense. 
husband but one wife, house in order, not a drunkard. You see, it's an intense thing. You've got to have a good reputation. When people speak of you, it should be people speaking well of you. You're always going to have your naysayers. I understand that. But to be above reproach is somebody to say, I don't have anything against this man. I mean, I like him, but I don't have anything of substance against him. You see, it's the elders that need to fit these things because it's the seriousness of the position. I can tell you that in the last 20 years, I've worked with many elders, some like revolving doors. And I can tell you that that ministry was not a healthy church at all. I've seen some pretty bad eldership. I've been a part of a ministry where two people were excommunicated when they shouldn't have been because the elders were on a power trip. I've been in churches where the congregation was out of control because the elders didn't want to address anything that might start a controversy. But then God's blessed me with good elders too. So I've seen the spectrum. And I can tell you the churches that are healthy have healthy leaders. Always. Always. Every healthy church I've ever seen has healthy leaders. Healthy elders. It's amazing that that would happen, right? No, it's not. The Bible tells us that's, that's how we, we work things. That's why Paul left Titus in Crete, was to set up healthy leaders so that the church would not be led astray and it would be strong. Too many times, too many times, the church throws men in the position of elder for all the wrong reasons. Oh, they were nominated. Okay, does that make them a good elder? Because of a nomination. Or they desire to be. Okay, does that make them a good elder? Because they desire it. You see, we, we've been placing men in these positions really because they have a pulse. Some churches get desperate. And say, we have to have so many, so... Here you go. The churches do, do not do a good job of vetting their leaders. I, I'm, I'm convinced of, of that in my, in my experience as a pastor. The vetting process has been very, very weak in, in many churches. Not just ones I've served in, but many others. Most often, leaders are put into place solely based off of their likability. Oh, seems like a good guy. Maybe he should be an elder. He might be a great elder. But is that the qualification of likability? Sometimes people are put into leadership because of family heritage. And that's a lot of churches. His granddaddy, his daddy, his great-granddaddy, his great-great-granddaddy, they were all elders. So why can't he? Again, he may, may make a really good elder. But is that the qualification? You see, we have to be careful. 
There are churches that place people in a position just to make sure there was someone in that position. And sadly, this includes churches that ignore scriptures altogether. And those churches are ones who place women in eldership. Not no problem with women serving in church at all. At our last church, we had women deaconesses. But a woman cannot be an elder. I know that may be controversial, but that's what the Bible says. Must be a husband but one wife. A woman cannot be an elder. They can do many things, but in the position of an elder, biblically, that is not okay. But when churches get desperate, and I'm going to credit the women, they step up way more than men do. So good on you women for stepping up and filling things you need to fill. This is why I preach that the biggest ministry in a, in a church should be a men's ministry. So that men are learning to lead and are encouraged to lead. Leading at home and leading in the church. The fact is, an elder must be a qualified leader and be diligent in their responsibilities. It cannot be taken lightly. Lastly, elders must instruct. Elders must instruct. So, this is part of being an elder. If elder means presbyterios, and presbyterios also means pastor, and pastor and elder can be used for shepherd, then there's got to be something in there about teaching. In fact, it's instructed by Paul and Timothy here in Titus that they, they need to be able to instruct. Now, this is different standing up here. If I'm honest with you, I get nervous too. Okay, it, it's, it's intimidating. But there are other things that we do to instruct. Along with elders being qualified, they must be able to help people in the word. That's their primary objective as an elder is to teach God's word. Amen. Teach the Bible. So in order to be able to do this, they have to know their Bible. They have to know what the scripture says. They have to know doctrine. They have to know what they believe. But too many times in our churches, we put people in these leaderships who do not know what their Bible says. Who do not open their Bible during the week and study for themselves. Who do not teach the Bible. In church, we're better than that because if we don't teach God's word, or if we just leave it up to the preacher, then that church is not going to be what they're supposed to be. And it's not just a knowledge, but a lifestyle of scripture as well. It's not just, oh, here's the smartest guy. He's make a good elder. He's up there. You know, he's teaching the Bible. But does his life look the same? This is why Paul says that must have a, a good, be a good manager over their family. Because if they can lead at home, they can lead in the church. But if they can't lead at home, the leadership of the church will be mediocre at best. You have to be able to lead your family. And an elder in my first ministry who's 
older son, who was not even in the house, moved in with his girlfriend. And when they did that, he, said, he came up to us and said, you know what? I don't have control of my home. So he stepped down. He didn't need to do that. His son was not in the house any longer. But he felt like he needed to at that time. That was what, between him and God. But that, that was a, a move of integrity, wasn't it? Just saying there's something I did wrong. I need to make that right. We got to understand that it's not just knowledge, it's a life. Now, as a godly parent, you can guide your children all you want. It's still ultimately their decision. So just because your kids grow up and don't follow Jesus doesn't mean that you're unqualified to be an elder. If you've raised your kids to love the Lord. You raise them in the Lord. We can't control what our children do. We can in the home, though, when they're still there. We can have some influence. And so that's what we need to be doing. This is important because they are able to be able to teach and offer correction. This is why it's important that they instruct, because they need to be able to teach and offer correction. And this is the thing. A lot of churches, they offer a lot of good teaching that elders can teach. But what is difficult is to offer correction when it needs to be brought. That's a whole different ballgame. It's a lot easier to teach the Word of God. That's what the Bible says. You know, here's your lesson for today in Sunday school. But then when somebody is living wrong in your, in your church, in your flock, if somebody is, is involved in something that's not part of the church, that's, that's against the church, uh, we take them. We like to say, ah, I don't want to touch that. Part of being an elder is to do exactly that. To bring church discipline and correction. And if you've ever had to be a part of that, you know it's very difficult. It's heart-wrenching. But it has to be done. That's part of being able to instruct. Therefore, we must, uh, or they must know and live the word. They are not to teach wisdom or opinion. They are to teach sound doctrine. I can spout for 30 minutes an opinion of mine for a sermon. But what good is that going to do? Sound doctrine is what changes a person. It's God's word that envelops that person and, and says, okay, it's time for a change. This is part of being a qualified elder. They are to model with their lives what it means to follow Jesus. Found a great description in the, in the book called Making Sense of the Ministry by Warren and David Worsby that I feel gives a great description of elders and really anyone that serves in ministry or in, in the church at all. And this is called the 10 basic statements about ministry. And I, I love these. So here we go. Number one, the foundation of ministry is character. The foundation of ministry is character. Number two, the nature of ministry is service. Three, the motive for ministry is love. That's a big one. Because sometimes we like to be the head of things. And we like all the people looking up to us and saying, hey, you're our leader. 
But the motive for ministry is love. The measure of ministry is sacrifice. The authority of ministry is submission. The purpose of ministry is the glory of God. The tools of ministry are the word and prayer. Number eight, the privilege of ministry is growth. It's a privilege to see growth. That's not what we're trying to force. It's a privilege to see it. A lot of leaders are so entangled in how many people can we get in our building. Pastors get fired all the time because the church doesn't grow like everybody thinks it should grow. If we're measuring it on numbers, we're measuring it wrongly. We measure it on spiritual maturity and growth in that department. Because I believe when people mature in the faith, God will bless the church in the numbers. Because the church will be doing what they're supposed to be doing. Number nine, the power of ministry is the Holy Spirit. It's not any four guys or five guys. It's the Holy Spirit. That is the power of the church. That is the power of ministry. And number 10, the model of ministry is always Jesus Christ. So, long story short, an elder must be one to put on Christ daily and have the heart of a teacher. They don't just teach by their words, they teach by their lives. They live the life that they actually claim to have. And Paul is very specific as to what kind of leaders the church needs. So here's Paul's conclusion in my own words. Church leaders need to be strong followers of Jesus because in, because in order to lead people correctly, one must know how to be a follower of Jesus. Before you can lead, you need to know how to follow. Paul has clearly laid out what it takes to be an elder. Clearly. However, these are also characteristics that should be sought after by all believers. So we're not here as non-elders saying, well, this doesn't apply to me. Absolutely, it does. We need to be Christ followers. A godly elder will have an effect of, on the people that he leads. He will have an effect on them. Whether he's godly or ungodly, there's going to be an effect that's going to be had. So a godly elder and their effect on the church, the church will follow that. Elders must be qualified and they must instruct. So I challenge you this morning to look at this example of leadership in Titus and strive for it. Your faith means nothing if your life is not reflecting that faith. I also encourage you to pray for and encourage the elders here at Rosebud. I'm going to bring it home here. If you are not praying for the elders and only criticizing, please stop and pray. We don't need critics. We need prayer warriors. It is a difficult task. And I can assure you that these men that we call elders here at Rosebud Christian Church are doing their best to be the godly leaders that they need to be. 
I'm a pretty vocal person, and if they weren't, they'd be the, I'd be the first to tell them, <laughs> right? I, I'll, I'm honest. These guys are doing their absolute best to be the leaders that God has called them to be. So pray for them. Encourage them. Encourage. There will be change that comes. There will be change. And our elders, as they lead through this, these changes that are coming, need your encouragement and prayer. They need your support. So if we want to be the church that God has designed us to be, then we have to have consistent, godly leadership. And we have to have a congregation that prays for and encourages them. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you and I praise you.